Hi, I'm Justine, and I'm here to tell you being mentally ill isn't the end of the world. I know what it's like to live with a mental illness. It's hard. You're constantly trying to hide your struggles from others, and you feel like you're weaker than others because of your illness. But that's not true. So many badasses struggle with mental illnesses, but they don't talk about them because they're afraid of being judged or thought of as weak-minded. Well, guess what? They're not. We can change that by talking openly about our struggles and sharing our stories with each other in a positive light. This is why I created Mentally a Badass, so we can come together as badasses who are also mentally ill or who has had it rough in life and share our stories with one another in a safe place that celebrates our strengths rather than shames our weaknesses. I hope this podcast helps you feel less alone in this crazy life of ours, and I hope it makes your life just a little bit better. Welcome back to Mentally a Badass. My name is Justine, and today I have the founder of the apparel company, Hopeless Mope. I am super excited to speak with CJ, who is the founder. We're going to be talking about the topic of grief and how he uses grief into turning it into a powerful brand and also focusing on helping others not feel alone with their pain. So I'm super excited to chat with him today. So thank you so much for taking your time to be on the podcast today, CJ. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Okay, so on every episode of Mentally About Us, I always like to dive into your past because your past is what creates your your presence and your future. So you are born in the mid 80s, grew up in the 90s. And at that time, mental health was not spoken about as much. So anytime people experience any negative feelings, it was really hard to, you know, talk to others. Um, about their feelings because they were seen as people that they didn't want to be around like oh I don't want to be around that person because they're negative so it made us people who struggle with depression not want to open up is there a time in your life or a story that you can recall where you attempted to talk to a friend about your feelings but you were dismissed oh wow uh all right that is one single story I think the the general gist of it is growing up my anxiety, depression, it, it started pretty early, pretty much as, as early as I can remember my earliest memories. Um, you know, I, we all have kind of our struggles in our childhood. I had um, some particularly big challenges in my childhood. And I think that caused maybe a lot of this anxiety, a lot of this depression that there was no name for. Nobody said like, oh, you're just experiencing a panic attack or you know, you're just depressed. It was always, uh, you know, just pick yourself back up and just smile and go forward and just like stop being the way you are was the messaging that I got. Uh, a lot of the people that I was around, a, there was no opportunities to speak out about it, which really started this whole like life experience of feeling like an outsider, like a misfit and an outcast, even within the people who were supposed to be my friends and and family like I was always kind of outcasted and and no one really had any names to what was wrong yeah actually the way you explained it that actually makes a lot of sense so since we didn't really I mean anxiety and depression those names were you know out and about in the world mm -hmm. but it wasn't spoken about as much and not many people were educated on it and especially yeah. like when you're a kid in like middle school or high school, you're not really, you don't really know what the word depression means mm -hmm. or what anxiety means. Um, so when you're constantly told, oh, just pick up yourself and just like go and it's fine, just move forward. 
I feel like, you know, maybe your friends didn't mean any harm. And that's probably most likely how it was. It was more of just not really understanding what your experience. But when people are told, oh, just you're fine, like kind of in a way dismissing your feelings, Mm -hmm. it just makes me think like, why am I so weird? You know, like yeah. that's like I remember thinking that myself. And then that's when we became like an outsider. Yeah. And um, so you said that you as a kid had like the anxiety and depression. Um, when did did you seek help at all? Like in in when you were older? Uh no. It took until uh my early twenties, once I was married and and my first child was on the way for mm-hmm that help to start to come and it was when i finally started to be able to put names to it so mm-hmm. nobody like there was there was no one that could tell me like oh what you're feeling is normal and this is why i mean i have um to this day i have sensory issues so mm-hmm. i like putting on clothes is a very challenging thing for me um certain textures and stuff like that but i always just thought that like that's just how life was and it would be like just you know yelling at me like get ready get ready and i'm like i can't like it's really hard for me to put on a pair of jeans and funny enough a funny anecdote the about two years ago i learned um and this is so fucking weird uh, is it okay to swear there's I, a swear I, word oh, in my name okay okay <laughs> well oh, that's, right. The podcast. Yeah, that's right that's right mentally badass um <laughs> about two years ago right after my my wife died for some reason i was just like i wonder what would happen if i heated up my clothes with my hair dryer and realized that that actually helped me (laughs) to get my clothes on without that like weird sensory thing that i have but um yeah there's just no names there is no so there is no way that i could say hey i need help because Uh i just thought this is the way that i am and society and friends and and family they're telling me that i'm wrong to feel this way so therefore i just have to change but obviously i couldn't there was no way that i could change especially growing up so yeah it was it was a very interesting time um i would go to sleep in in a panic you know where you can't breathe and can't catch your breath and i didn't know i thought i was dying so like i would go to bed every night and be like i hope i wake up in the morning um that happened a lot during high school yeah, so you definitely were experiencing panic attack, a panic mm-hmm. attack possibly of going to sleep. Um, yeah. so today, like present day, did you ever get like a name for what you mm. are experiencing? Like, is yeah. are you diagnosed with like are you like legally diagnosed with anxiety, and depression, and panic attacks? Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that's a good question. So eventually, I did start to go down this this uh, path of self work. Um. About fifteen years ago. And I did, I did get some diagnosis. Um, I was clinically depressed for a while. Um, that was probably one of the, one of the worst moments, um, in my life, aside from losing my wife and, uh, anxiety, yeah, generalized anxiety, stuff like that. Um, you know, I, I have, there's so many other things like the sensory thing. I, you know, I think maybe I could try to go figure out and, and dig into what that stuff is and other behaviors that I have. Um, I've thought about doing it, but at the same time, I'm just like, what really matters is just to, to focus on the self-work and focus on the immediate thing. So, yeah. Yeah. I found that like self-work and self-development is probably in, in my opinion, at least for my, in my condition is very like probably like the most important. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that definitely does help. Um, I kind of skipped a question here, but I'm going to kind of like go That's back okay. to it. Um, did you 
did you have, find have ways like in high school to cope with your with your pain? Mm, uh, nothing healthy. Yeah, nothing gotcha. healthy. Um, for a little while, for a few years, like heavy heavy pot user, that obviously made things much worse. With anxiety, yeah. Um, yeah, it made it so much worse, and uh, you know, alcohol not to an excess, but I think those were ways to escape it a little bit, even though I didn't realize that I was doing that. I think it was just, um, uh, yeah, I think it was just a way to escape my thoughts because it's the racing thoughts that are, um, the OCD, like those racing thoughts that are very difficult to deal with or were difficult to deal with. So, yeah, yeah. but, um, there was no good ways to deal with it. It was just, I just sat with myself and just felt everything oh, so wow. deeply. Yeah. I'm so sorry. That's, I I definitely understand where you're coming from. I also kind of like feel like percentage of people in high school. Um, if I were to ask this question to pretty mm -hmm. much anybody who struggled with mental health, and I asked yeah. them, "How did you cope in high school?" Pretty yeah. sure, like ninety nine percent of the yeah. people would say alcohol. Yeah, you know, yeah. alcohol no or some people self harms mm -hmm. on back in back in the day, yeah. um, or and or engage in sexual more sexual activity like pretty That's much right. all the things that will end up hurting our soul in the long run mm -hmm. but it's more just because we weren't really uh, educated on Correct. how to properly cope with things and um i really hope like what i do and what you do that people who are in high school mm -hmm. can you know listen and you know check out our instagrams and like and give them like the coping like skills that they need if they feel that they you know can afford a therapist of yeah. course i always put like i'm not a therapist <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's just it's just more just like so people don't feel alone you know Correct. and i feel like when we were in high school uh, i mean i'm a little younger than you i was born in 95 okay so i guess we're a 10 year difference yeah, yeah i got 10 years on you that's all yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> well then i want to say that you are definitely like stronger than me because I'm sure back mm. even more 10 years, like further yeah, down, yeah. it was probably mm. even less spoken about. And yeah. you didn't like even have like social media at all. No. I think I had Instagram at least for a little bit in high school. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but back then Instagram was more just like selfies and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so let's transition into chatting about, um, when your wife passed away, um, yeah. can you explain how that felt to my listeners? Like when it happened? Mm. So it was arguably the most emotionally and physically, uh, hurtful thing that I've ever been through. So to kind of bring that full circle with the, with the questions that you're asking before, um, my wife and I met in high school, our senior year of high school. And actually, before I met her, uh, I remember seeing her getting a Snapple that she got every single day in the cafeteria. And I remember telling my buddy, like, I'm going to marry that that girl. And I ended up marrying her. Uh, we were engaged at 19. I waited for her to graduate college, and we got married. And in the beginning of our marriage, so we were about 21, 22, somewhere around there, 2007. Mm -hmm. um, my She got pregnant six weeks after our marriage. So very, very early, we had our first child or she was pregnant with our first child. And at that time, my depression had really hit kind of its peak. There was a lot of 
childhood trauma and stuff that was coming up, like I mentioned. And, and that's what really set me down this path. And, and it was her because um, this woman, my late wife, is was the strongest, most incredible woman I've ever met in my life. And I remember this one moment we were sitting in our first house in the living room, Christmas time, the tree was behind me and it was her favorite time of year. And she was sitting on the couch, I was on the floor. And I just remember looking up at her and like stuttering my words as I was holding back tears and telling her like, I'm completely broken. And I don't think that I'm ever going to be fixed. Um, at the time I had a lot of suicidal ideations and it was, it was just too, too much. And I was so afraid to have my daughter come into this world and like, how would I handle it? Would I be a good enough dad? And I remember her leaping off of the couch, grabbing my face and just staring me dead in the eyes and saying, you are not broken. And she just kept repeating that you're not broken. You're not broken. And for the next couple of years, she helped me and walked me through and supported me through this, which I can only imagine was extremely difficult for her as a new mother newly married, newly living together. We're still really young and, and she handled it all like a fucking champ. Um, so bringing this back to your question, being able to help her into her death really was like this full circle moment of like, she helped me through what was the hardest time in my life at that point. And I got to help her into her death, but it was, I mean, it's, it's only been a little over two years and it's still just, it just breaks me. Um, the first night in hospice, we did hospice at our home. I remember, um, she woke me up in the middle of the night and, and we had this crazy connection where I, I could feel everything that she was going through. Um, I could be in California, we're in New York and just feel like, oh shit, like I got a call or something's wrong. She's crying. And I would call something was wrong. She's crying. And the first night we were in hospice, everybody came over, we got her settled, we got her drugs, everybody left, my family, and then my kids were in bed with her, and I was on the floor trying to sleep. And every time I closed my eyes, I could just like, it was like I was looking through her eyes and I felt like, I felt like death coming on and it scared me so much and I kept like waking up and then I heard a faint voice and she was just like, CJ, CJ, you have to come here, come here. And I walked up to the bed and she was like, call everybody right now. It's time. And I started freaking out. Time, time. What do you mean time? I knew. So uh, I'm on the phone. I'm trying to get everybody back. It's like, I think it's like 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. And round up everybody so they can say their goodbyes. And out of the corner of my eyes, I'm pacing the room and I see her saying goodbye to my kids. And, and I hear them just saying like, mommy, no, mommy, no. And I got everybody there. And I kind of backed away and let everybody have their moment to say goodbye to her. And I was trying to hold it together. And finally, like three or four in the morning, you know, before that the sun came up, I remember crawling onto the bed and, and reaching over her. And it was like a hand just reached into my chest and squeezed the shit out of my heart. And it was the most physical pain I have ever been in. And I could not get out get out of it and it just wrenched and I just screamed and cried over her body and then over the next five days she just slowly faded away and um 
you know, most of, of her just kind of disappeared until she took her last breath. Wow. I need to like take a moment for that. I like literally like I felt me like starting to tear a little bit mm. and I'm like, am I going to start like crying on this <laughs> podcast episode? I don't think I've ever cried on an episode before. Mm. Um, But first off, amazing, you know, storytelling skill. I really felt like when you were talking about it, I was able to really kind of feel like I was like in my head, I was kind of like seeing like what was like the actual story and i was like feeling what you were feeling i'm also very empathetic yeah. um and i'm trying to find like the right words you know to respond yeah. to that or <laughs> um or i'm like recording right now but uh good. oh my goodness you've described you've answered that question so beautifully mm. where i'm sure that anyone who listens to that is mm -hmm. going to feel that emotion you felt and it's kind of in interesting how like it's just kind of like you just know and you guys can you definitely know right then and there that you guys you know soulmates mm -hmm. completely 100 yeah. percent. and um you already like answered this question right after this was the best way to describe the type of person your wife was mm. and you did all that yeah. in <laughs> I, oh, I can expound on that if you wanted me to. Yeah, um, if you would like, if you want to talk yeah, about like more, we can, you know, talk more about her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there is one story that comes to mind mm -hmm. um, that really kind of puts it, it in the perspective of, of just who she was and how strong she was. So humor has always been a huge part of her and our our lives, right? Like it's it's always been that way. And when she got her diagnosis, she passed away from cancer. And when she got her diagnosis, that didn't change. Um, everything was like, we will joke about this. We will keep it light. And we are not going to, or I'm sorry, she would say, we will not let life stop because of my diagnosis. As a matter of fact, the night um, that we knew that the cancer had spread so aggressively that there was no hope for anything that we had to tell the kids, we sat, we talked with them. We told them, you know, this is going to be mommy's last Christmas. We're trying to get through the holidays. And immediately after we all held each other and cried, we put on stand-up comedy. Like, it was just ingrained in us. But, like, apart from that, the strength that she endured so much pain to protect me and to protect the kids because she knew how hard it was for me. Um, there was one time uh, I was in my office. So I work from home. I was in my office. And I heard a knock on my door, which was odd because like when I'm working, it's really difficult for me um, if I get distracted. So I knew that like this wasn't anything, just anything. So I opened the door and my wife is standing there and her eyes were were just beat red. And she's not one that's quick to cry. And I was like, shit, what is going on? And she walked in and her first reaction was like, don't worry, please don't worry. Please don't cry. Please don't worry. Of course, I started fucking worrying right away. I was like, mm -hmm. what is going on? Right. Um, she was like, I need you to know that the, the cancer is growing again. So with her cancer, it spread everywhere, but it would just grow and stop and grow and stop. So this was the first reoccurrence. And she said, I didn't want to tell you. So they needed to do a biopsy on my spine, which meant jamming a massive needle into her back and into her spine to get some of the tissue. 
And she said, I tried to do it, but the only way that I could do it without telling you was not taking any numbing or anesthesia or anything. She's like, so I tried to stay awake for the, for the procedure, but the surgeon forced me to stop because I couldn't sit still because the pain was too intense. And she's like, so I need you to take me so that way they can knock me out to do the procedure. And she just did this over and over again of, of trying to protect me and my kids and really everybody from the pain that she held. And, uh, you know, she did that until the day before hospice. She never let anybody know just how incredible the pain that she was, that she was in. Wow. And I'm sure she's looking down at you right now with everything that you're doing, you know, Mm -hmm. to keep her legacy going. And I'm just like, putting my I have a thing where I like to put myself in people's positions and I'm sure she's that's a lot you know I wish Mm. I can I wish I like knew her and I can like give her a hug like she seems like an amazing you know wonderful human Mm -hmm. being that was just you know taken too soon and we need more people like her on this earth and my heart literally breaks like hearing about people like her that gets taken, you know, too mm-hmm. soon. And we always wonder like, why, yep. like, why are like people like her who is just so beautiful being taken so soon? And as I was saying, I'm trying to basically say is that I think I'm kind of lost for words at this point. I feel like I was mm-hmm. going somewhere and then I started like saying stuttering yeah. words, but I, I'm very, like I said, I'm very empathetic. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like, I mean, I'm never, ever going to know what you felt because I've never, like, I've had people pass away in, like, my life, like, family members and stuff Mm -hmm. like that, but not, like, someone that's so near and dear, and especially Mm -hmm. someone who was there for you to, you know, help with your mental health and everything like that. Um, That must have been, like, you know, very difficult. Um, The way I like to look at it is she is, we all, I mean, you know, I'm sure a lot of people say, you know, she's still with you and mm-hmm. she's with you in a way of having the kind of passion of one of you creating, you know, hope mm-hmm. of smoke and creating, you know, this legacy. And you're doing this all for her mm-hmm. um, and for and I'm sure that she would be the person that would be, you know, if she was you know, still here with us, she would be rooting you on like, yes, make that a mm-hmm. program. Like, yes, spread that awareness she would be like helping you out and you guys Mm -hmm. would be such a like a badass like team and everything like that so Mm -hmm. she is still like she's she's still here she's still here still present not not Mm -hmm. physically but she's still here and just shown Mm -hmm. in different ways um so i like to we're so still talk about grief and actually i think i already asked you I mean, I already asked about your experience with grief, but mm-hmm. a lot of people experience grief very differently. Like, yeah. you know, you hear how some people may show like anger, some people will isolate, mm-hmm. some people like there's like different emotions. Some people will also maybe seem like they're not bothered, which we know they are. Mm-hmm. How did, well, out of all those things that I've mentioned, what would you say that would you probably fit best of like how you experienced your grief with the, like the first year? Yeah. Oh, the first year. It was a blur. Um, yeah, grief is definitely uh specifically with with widowhood. Mm-hmm. Uh there are similarities, but like you said, everybody kind of expresses it in different ways, different coping mechanisms, things like that. For me, the the grief 
was intense. Uh, mm -hmm. It was it was extremely intense. And going from having her to not having her and now being a single parent to three kids, trying to work a full time job, trying to just make like the house run just to feed the kids like it was mm -hmm. it was basically like running on adrenaline I actually it's interesting I just looked I was like looking at my my trends with my sleep app and the first two years I was averaging less than four hours a night of sleep so mm -hmm. sleep was very much affected mm -hmm. uh but I was running on pure adrenaline and the first thing I did I tore the entire house apart Mm -hmm. every room room by room for the next three to four months i took everything out put it in the center of the room threw away everything i didn't need put uh -huh. back only what was necessary and there was like this thing in me that was like i need to know everything that's in the house i need to build uh -huh. systems i need to figure out how to streamline this and that could potentially be like the engineer side of me but that was like my initial reaction to it um definitely like continuing the work so i was with my therapist uh, for about four years at the time. So she had been preparing me for this moment as much as it's possible to. And then just, uh, just, we just continued with that deep work and trying to give me that safe space to just feel what I needed to feel. Mm -hmm. Um, there was a lot of, there was a lot of, uh, resentment. There was a lot of anger. Uh, there was a lot of, fear a ton of fear fear of, of uh that i didn't do enough for my wife fear that you know that i wouldn't be able to survive this and constantly regretting and replaying in my mind every moment that i wasn't absolutely perfect for her and just beating myself up over and over and over again and then just crying out to her every night like why, why aren't you here i wish you were here I want you back so bad. So that was really the the first year. Yeah, it makes sense. After, you know, losing your wife and then realizing, okay, this is all me right now. And then mm -hmm. it makes sense that your body would go into survival mode. Oh, yeah. Without um, a doubt. Did you get any, like, support and, like, help from, like, family and friends? Yeah. Um. Initially. Uh, and then that support just kind of dissipates naturally. Mm -hmm. I think it's less impacted in, in people's lives, right? They don't feel it day to day, not that it's not hard for them and painful. And, and I have amazing friends and family, but that support goes away, especially to the level yeah. that I need. Mm -hmm. And um, in that first year of why I felt like I wouldn't survive it is six months after my wife died. Um, so she passed away in September, in March, which is historically a terrible month for me because my birthday's in March. And on my 30th birthday as a woman, well, my wife got her stage four diagnosis. So again, I'm confronted in March. My son, my middle child had a uh, nerve tumor and we ended up going through a month of testing and getting to the end of the testing with the surgeon saying uh, cancer is a strong possibility. So I had just buried my wife and now I'm sitting in these doctor's offices where I was just taking my wife for all her treatment and hearing cancer being thrown around again. And I was just like, I, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to survive this. I'm like, I, I barely did it when my wife was here. I don't know how the fuck I'm going to be able to do this now. How am I going to walk my child through this? 
and of all my children, he's the one that is most afraid of medical things and needles and all this stuff. So we get out, you know, we're in the surgeon's office and he was like, you know, we're going to have to operate and, and pull this out from him and see what it is. And I remember that day getting into the car and he's in the front seat and he just looks at me and he's like, daddy, he's like, do I have cancer? I'm like, how the fuck am I supposed to answer this? Mm-hmm. And I had to tell him like, yeah, man, like there's, there's a, a good possibility that it might be cancer. And he went through the surgery and, um, about a week later the the surgeon calls and tells me that my son is the fifth documented case ever of having this nerve tumor. It's a tumor that actually grows on the nerve and they had to remove the tumor completely. And then he starts asking me like, can your son swallow? Can he Mm -hmm. see out of his left eye? Can he blink? Can he talk? And I was like, what the fuck is going on? I'm like, can you please just tell me? And he started getting giggly and he was like, I'll never see this again. This was so amazing. And I was like, but it does he have cancer? And and finally, it was just like, no, it, it was benign. Um, and then, you know, he had to get tested six months after to make sure that nothing was growing. So it was um, it was not an easy first year for me at all. Um, I don't think, you know, it's easy for anybody the first year, but it definitely yeah. it definitely threw me for for a loop. Wow, that's crazy to have that thrown at you like the first year. It's like, okay, you're just working like you said you just buried your wife and now you're hearing that word again being coming out of doctors except for your child now Mm -hmm. and oh my goodness i'm like in my head thinking i want to give this guy a hug (laughs) what what, what state we we don't take hugs no no i said i'll I'll gladly take (laughs) hugs (laughs) i mean i was gonna say it's okay if you did and i've met people who've like told me some dark stories and i was like can i hug you and they're like no and i'm like okay (laughs) i'm i'm italian come from a big italian family so we hug (laughs) i'm italian and cuban yeah there you go what uh out of curiosity where do you what state do you live in new york yeah upstate new york i want to be in new jersey in like two weeks oh nice Okay, yeah, for, yeah, I was I'm, just out in the city. Yeah, I'm gonna be there for like a whole, I'm originally from New Jersey. I live in oh, Florida. Okay. I live in Florida now, but yeah, I'm gonna um, be there for a month. I was like, if you if you like lived in like New York City, I was like, I'll take yeah. a bus in. Let's go get oh, some yeah. coffee or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's do a photo shoot. <laughs> Where in uh, Florida are you? I'm current. Okay, so currently I'm in Cape Coral, which is like okay. Southwest Florida. But yeah. the last five years, I lived in Orlando. Okay. Where I when I that's when I worked for Disney, which actually I think I brought that story when I was oh. promoting Hopeless Mope. I think that's yeah, I think I did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I did because in Disney, when you're a cast member, it's like you can't really show your feelings mm-hmm. when you're you know because you have to be all bippity boppity. <laughs> so, so, out of all of the creative outlets that people mm. use, such as like music writing, painting, acting, poetry, mm-hmm. what made you choose creating a, an apparel brand? Oh, all right. Um, it's a, it's, it's an interesting question. Uh, I, I I think I have to start more at the beginning Mm -hmm. of this. Um, so apologies if this is a long winded answer, I seem (laughs) to be a bit verbose. Uh, I had been writing up until that point about the experience of my wife and I and caretaking and all these things, um, and various lengths and platforms but always trying to be open about what it was like and what was going on 
and then continuing that through after she died. So starting a series called um, The Day After Cancer. Mm -hmm. And for me, this really all started because we were out in California when she got diagnosed, because at that time I was working in Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. And she wanted to come back home to New York so our kids could have a stable place when she died and she wanted to be with friends and family. Totally cool, was supportive of it, but not a fan of where I live. And uh, it was really difficult. I had a lot of resentment moving. And once I did, once I came out back home, my buddy said, hey, I have an extra camera. Let's just go out and shoot just to get you out. Let's just like get you out of your head and let's go. And that was the first moment in my life. And this was back in 2015. That was the first moment in my life where I realized, oh, fuck, I can process my feelings through creativity. Mm-hmm. And it really was the the thing that started me down this path where it wasn't until, I don't know, maybe two years ago that I considered myself a creative person which is nuts because my whole life I have been doing creative endeavors. I just never felt mm. that I was good enough. So why would I ever call myself a creative person? Cause everything I produced was shit in my mind. So, um, so yeah, so I did photography for a while. I still do it a little bit writing. And then there came a moment actually I was sitting with my therapist and fashion for me has always been a important part of my life in different ways so like i said growing up i've always felt isolated i've always felt alone and i uh even though you know talking a lot right now with you if you put me in a crowd i'm not going to be talking with people i'm not the person that's going to be walking around and like playing the crowd Mm -hmm. so the only way that i was able to express myself subconsciously as a child was through my clothes And that meant like, I had this crazy um, photo, I got to find it, my first communion um, at the time, when, when when I was growing up, like I had, you know, everybody's in their, their nice, like, no girls are in like their white dresses, and the boys are in like their little suits. I had yellow canary pants, and this like polka dot splotch, red and yellow shirt, like I stood the fuck out like crazy. And I'm like piecing this shit together. I'm like, oh, <laughs> like I've always used like fashion as a way to connect to to how I felt, and uh-huh. also to be like, fine, you want to call me a misfit? You want to say that I stand out? I'm gonna fucking stand out then, because <laughs> yeah. I felt most comfortable when I wasn't like anybody else, because that's what I was feeling internally. So in in with this with my therapist, she was like, what if you? take all your creativity and the designs and everything you're doing, why don't you start a clothing brand? Mm. And I ignored her for like six months. Mm-hmm. And then in one night, um, Hopeless Mope was born. And I did, mm-hmm. I, I created the logo, the website, I mean, everything. I created the whole vision in a single night. I stayed up all night and it was huh. like, everything just clicked into place for me. Huh. Everything that I had been trying, because I had been doing tons of different side businesses for years, and all of that skill and all of that things just came to that moment. And it's what it is for me is like saying there are moments in our lives where we wake up, we feel a certain way. You're tired, you're sick. You want to put on super comfy clothes, oversized, lay in bed. 
when you feel good, you feel excited, you feel happy, you're celebrating, you're going to put on your favorite shirt, your favorite suit, your favorite pants, whatever it is to help yourself elevate those feelings. Mm -hmm. And fashion for me is not what do I look like? It's what do I connect with the person that I see in the mirror? Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I have a very eclectic style. Like I have so many different pieces. Um, and then it's also what did that person intend when they created that garment? What, mm -hmm. is, what is the design? What is the art? What is how the garment flows, the texture? Like, what does that feel? What does that look like? What is it doing and what story is it telling? So I said, um, so I created hopeless mode, mm -hmm. but more than that, what I've, my vision for the next um, half of my life is mm -hmm. I want to create a space that is safe for people to know that it's okay to not be okay. Mm -hmm. And we just don't have enough of that to say, it's okay. You're struggling. You don't feel, you feel like an outcast. You feel like a misfit, like you're safe here. And that is being expressed with fashion. That's being expressed with the podcast that I'm doing that's being expressed with like the platform I'm building. Like there is 20 things that I'm trying to accomplish and they're all starting um, from hopeless mode and from the podcast. You're, you are, you're so good at like answering these questions and you probably, I think you answered like two more mm. without even okay. asking actually. Um, because I was going to ask about, I was going to talk about, you know, the comfort of yeah. the clothing that you choose. And I said, mm -hmm. I think that one thing that you really nailed on that is different from other apparel companies is that you're thinking about people's comfort and yeah. their like moods and their feelings and such. Mm -hmm. And um, the fashion thing with the communion, that is so like <laughs> slay. Like, oh, yeah. I want, do you have any photos? I, want, I gotta find it because I want to post it so you bad. So I gotta go, I gotta ask my mom because, yo, this was back in the day. There's no fucking digital prints. So I gotta go find the actual print in a shoebox somewhere, but I need to get it because I keep referencing it and I wanna just see how fucking crazy it was. But there are so many instances like that where I always would just like, even like growing up in my twenties, I went to like our um, old company I work for, we went to the holiday party and I remember showing up and like seeing the reaction of, you know, the, the CEO and just been like, what the fuck are you wearing? I love that shit. Cause I'm like, yo, that's fine. Like I'm expressing myself. I'm sorry. You like, you don't want to be comfortable doing that, but like, this is me and I'm showing right. up in the world the way that I feel. So, yeah. And honestly, I still like today don't understand why people care so much. If someone is like not dressed like them, yeah. you know, and there's, yeah. I feel like we're literally like the, ch the chosen ones, like you and a lot of people that I talk with on my pod, on my podcast is that our mindsets are so different. Like we don't yeah. want to fit in. And right. I mean, in, in high school and middle school, when you're a kid, um, I, I, I feel like it's normal to feel like you want to fit in because right. if you don't fit in, then it's like, just like any human being, you want to feel important. You want to feel love. Like that's every that's single right. person, no matter what. And you know, when we were, when we were young, we think like, okay, there's something wrong with us and we're misfits mm -hmm. and we're going nowhere in life. But you know, it's yeah. kind of crazy is that we're the ones that are actually doing mm. amazing shit right now. Mm. Like we That's are, awesome. we are the ones who are like trying to change the world, having that That's passion. Right. And that's like you and I align really well mm -hmm. is like, we have different paths. Like I do what I do for different reasons. Like that's my right. biggest story is like the bullying and the insecurities that I've mm -hmm. had grown up. 
And then yours is, you know, with the grief and then also the same with, you know, anxiety and depression as well. Mm-hmm. And it's, I feel like super passionate right now. Yeah. Like, um, I feel that's like this awesome. is, I love it. I, I feel like this is like really like motivating me yeah. to, you know, for both of us. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, we're in the same, I don't know if the right word is industry. Same wavelength, man. Come on. Let's do this. Saying, yeah. Yeah. I mean, no. it is. We both run a podcast. So you know, yeah, that's, yeah. That's the same. yeah. I was yeah. gonna say, like, what's the right work? When I think of industry, I keep thinking of like like <laughs> like if we're doing like if we're doing uh-huh. this for like like dollar signs, but that's like not right. like I mean for you there's I mean for you there's dollar signs involved. For me right now, there's mm-hmm. not. But anyway, that's not the point. <laughs> I feel you though. But <laughs> My point is that like, especially with social media, like mm-hmm. social media is like such an amazing tool, which is why I'm like so grateful that I'm able to like have like a full-time job. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I'm kind of going to go on probably knowing me, I'm going to go on a social media rant. Like I can literally go on a rant about social media. Go for it. I used to work <laughs> at Facebook, so. <laughs> oh, for real? <laughs> yeah. That was my, my first job out in California. That's what brought me out there. And yeah. Oh, that, wow. was, that was a whole interesting thing. Oh, I feel like that can be like an, I feel like I would love to have this conversation with you. I don't know if it'll mm-hmm. fit with the mental health topic, but I just like to have <laughs> that guy. I mean, we could talk about how all this stupid banning shit is getting on my nerves. Mm. Uh- <laughs> it's been a minute since I worked there, so. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, okay, let's talk, let's transition yes. and let's talk. And I love this topic because it gets me so mad, but I like talking. Well, yeah. it gets me, it's something that makes me mad, but we need to talk about it. Let's talk about toxic positivity. Yes. <laughs> My least favorite thing. <laughs> <laughs> this stuff gets me so mad. Mm. And honestly, didn't even think it was a thing until I, until I'm like, realizing is a thing and i know you, you're yeah. really big on that with your brand that's right so for people who don't know with toxic positivity mm. is what is a definition that you would give it oh man that's good um i i would say toxic positivity is is forcing emotion and labeling things as negative and positive and forcing you into having a positive mindset with air quotes to the exclusion of acknowledging the hard shit in life mm-hmm. yeah that, that that's good there's i feel like there's so much of toxic positivity on mm-hmm. instagram like yes. there's there's so much of it i feel like i've like lost a friend because of it i don't yeah. want to say lost a friend we're like just not like aligning with each other anymore yeah. i feel like people don't understand the difference between toxic positivity and like these like content creators that are all Mm. about positive good vibes only and Mm -hmm. you know i I, it's just i feel like this is such a fun topic to talk about yeah and i'm trying to kind of like find a way on like making it flow with you with me and you right now right um so on. I'm kind of blanking out right now. I feel like I actually kind of like brought this up with another person. I kind of blanked out too, because I know if I like talk more about it, I'm not going to talk about like that particular person. So a lot of it is like showing this life mm. where it's doesn't like it makes it almost near to impossible for some people to have because of X, Y, Z. And because everybody's different, everyone has different paths, everyone has That's different right. a different brain, you know. So that's where like I feel like this company is like. I'm sure it's done great things for a lot of people, 
mm-hmm. but I just don't like this whole idea and this whole toxic positivity mm-hmm. and their focus. Right. So, yeah. yeah I think I a lot to- of that comes down to, uh, in regards to like toxic positivity is it's really ascribing labels to experiences and emotions and there's just no, like, we don't really know if something's positive or negative, like things mm-hmm. just are at the end of the day, like they just are, mm-hmm. um, it could feel negative that my wife died, mm-hmm. but it, it just is like, mm-hmm. she died. Yeah. There's, there's, I, I can't, it was painful. It hurt. It's awful. I wish she was back. Yeah. But when we start to apply these labels to our experiences, then one, we give them more or less power than they should have. And two, we start to like say, oh, well then I'm going to chase positive things, whatever those things are in our mind. And Mm -hmm. when you chase those things, it's like trying to grab onto water. Like it's just going to slip through your hands. Whereas when we have these heavy things that hit us, it's, it's so much more powerful if we can sit with them and learn to just be with them mm-hmm. and find that space within ourselves and that safe space with somebody else or with the community and just say like, okay, this is what's happening in my body. This is what I'm experiencing right now and acknowledge mm-hmm. and let those things just be and mm-hmm. let them move through you because yeah. the only way through it or the only way to get over things is to get through it. Right. We can't push these things away. And, and to me, it's like this toxic positivity, this like over like uh this over uh pushing towards this positive like just smile more is really saying to me like when i'm in when i was in like a depressive episode is like i can't smile don't Mm -hmm. tell me to smile that's Mm -hmm. not going to solve my fucking problems Mm -hmm. what i need is somebody to say yeah it sucks right now this is horrible this is miserable Mm -hmm. let me just sit with you let me be with you and and i and i've just noticed we don't do that as enough a society and there's reasons everybody has reasons but a lot of it too is education like we we don't know like what to say to people like my kids and i joke all the time about the crazy shit that people say to us especially like in the first few months and they would come to us and they'd say the things and we just like i said comedy uh comedy was really important to us and we just kind of look at each other and laugh about it mm-hmm. but if we could just teach people that it's okay. It's okay that you don't feel right right now. Maybe someday you will, but even healing, that does not look like, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to write my gratitude journal. I'm going to feel great. Now, like things with that, like we're, we're, we're bastardizing what these tools are meant to be used for, right? A gratitude journal, there is a place for that. But like when you tell somebody, write down three things you feel grateful every day and life will be better, mm-hmm. then you're setting them up for failure. Yeah. And the the only thing that I want to do, like, yes, I've had a lot of fucking tragedy in my life. Like we've only gotten into a little bit of it, but, but I've been giving so much. I have been given so much and, and the rest of my life, I just want to give back. I just want people who have, are hurting and feel like I have felt to know that, Hey, you got a fucking community here. Like we got you, you're okay. Like we'll, we'll deal with this together and you don't have to try to be better until you're ready. And then there's ways and there's healthy ways to approach that healing. So, yeah. So that's what gets me so frustrated with this toxic positivity. Cause it's like, you can't just magically be better because you told me to have like this 
wake up and smile and feel great. Like some days, yes. Most days, I just need somebody to say it sucks and I'm here. Yeah, I love the passion. Yeah, that was that was yes. great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're really into it. I was I was yeah. into that. That was great. Yeah. I, there is a one thing that you said that I just love so much, and I wanted to quote it. I think you were saying, "Don't tell me to f wait." I'm wait. It was like you were saying, "Like don't tell me to smile. It's not gonna fucking work." I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot yeah. exactly what the wording was. Yeah. But like, it was so like inspirational. And it's true. Mm. It's like there's even like these pictures out there where people are like, okay, they're sad, and they're like having like these hooks yeah yeah it's actually it's really freaking creepy <laughs> life is not always smiling like yeah. beauty is not always these what we call positive things like i tell mm -hmm. my kids my daughter she's an amazing fucking artist amazing and and i tell her all the time i'm like beauty is your truth that's the most beautiful thing and if your truth right now is pain then let your creativity show that pain because that's fucking beautiful. And that's what gets me so frustrated with this, like this toxic positivity or whatever you want to label it because it's not real. It's not real. And mm -hmm. we just need people to be real mm -hmm. and we'll find each other. Right? Like there, there's no reason to hide who we are. Obviously there's, there's levels of what we're going to share. Not everybody's going to go on social media and share as much as I do. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's that they, I wouldn't expect anybody to, mm -hmm. but you can share with the two or three people in your life and show your true self. You can share with your team at work, but like we hide ourselves and we mask our, we mask ourselves and then we don't get people's authentic selves. And then we see, Oh, I'm alone. These people are doing great and I'm alone and now I'm in more pain. But if we could all just say, Hey, no, you know what? This is how I felt. I'm struggling too. Suddenly that pain doesn't feel so strong, right? It's like having a broken arm. It hurts. Mm -hmm. But are you going to take that broken arm and start banging it against the wall? Oh, wow. Like, Why would you add suffering to your pain? And that's yeah. what we do when we don't show our true selves to, you know, whatever level of comfort we're willing to. I also feel like in people who enforce like toxic positivity on people, like, it's super dangerous, you know, mm. because if you're always being positive, like yeah. every single second, you're one day going to blow. Yeah, that's right. You know, and I feel like, I feel like, I, I mean, I have all these examples, but I, I, I can't like just throw the company under the bus. <laughs> yeah. Um, but okay. Company, you know, which company I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, the reason that we have to be all like smiley and positive just because mm. it's part of their brand. And right. as a, as a, as their brand, they want to spread like hope and happiness and, mm. uh, and just kind of like take you away from the adult world. So in a way it's kind of mm. like complete opposite of your brand. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Uh, most brands are complete opposite of mine. Though I've seen a few, a few popping up, but yeah. 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 So, but since I was working for them, I had to be a product of that brand. Uh, um, so I always had to do that, but then it's like, I'll be like, Oh, like ha, happy and dandy, blah, blah, blah. Like people will be telling <laughs> me to like, fuck off, like at work, like not, mm. like not my coworkers, like the guests. Right. They will be like, because people are like, people are not nice. Like I've gone like, so okay, that's a whole other story um, <laughs> of how people have treated me, um, the guests mm. over there. And I'll be like, mm -hmm. telling me that you, you're telling me to go fuck off. I'm like, yeah, 
cool. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. And then I'm like smiling. I'm like, oh God, I want to like deck you in the face right now. Like, <laughs> you know, just yeah. it was like literally, actually, there was literally a time like after like it was time for my break and I went to the break room and I started like screaming and crying mm. because I was holding it in. Like, that's hard. Like that. And I had to, I can't be like crying. Right. I can actually like, I mean, once that, and once, but when you do, when they do see you having like a mental breakdown, they do allow you to like stop working and like go on a walk mm-hmm. or like they, so in, in the back end, they, they do care about your mental, like they do give you a mm-hmm. lot of resources to help yourself. Right. But it's like, okay, we're giving you the resources, but you do have to kind of hide it when you're actually working. Um, but yeah, that's a challenge. Yeah. You know, and the companies have their missions and that's great. And, yeah. and it's great if they want, if companies want to have, you know, we'll say more positive messages. Certainly those, those are, are beautiful and great. Uh, I think there's an authentic way to do that because without, without difficulty, without challenges, without struggle, we don't know what joy feels like without pain. There is no joy and without joy, mm-hmm. there is no pain. It's a good and one. I think there's ways to, to be authentic in, in, in happiness. And, you know, I think there, there are brands that are doing it great and, and, you know, I, I, I love it. I love to see it. I just think it really comes back to authenticity. Yeah. And, and if it can be authentic and, you know, that is generic, but you know, I, th- I think people can tell, they can tell. Definitely. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm actually really curious. I feel like your brand would do, would fit so well into like hot topics. What is your opinion mm. on that? Uh, yeah. Uh, I, definitely have thought about like going to into stores and boutiques and stuff like that uh it's on the roadmap to Mm -hmm. look more deeply into that and where it would go and where it's going to fit i think um you know i i'm really working to make sure that the vision is completely solid uh and just kind of moving forward with that and just seeing like step by step what that's going to be and, and where that goes. But, uh, but yeah, that's interesting. I, I appreciate that feedback too. Yeah. Cause mm-hmm. I was like, when I was like looking at like all like the catalog and the clothes and I'm like, yeah. I feel like I would see this on hot topic. And I feel yeah. like, I feel like your mission would align with like mm. the, like the customer, like the market yeah. that, that hot topic brings in. Yeah, because yeah. at least when I remember when I was like shopping at hot topic, when I was like mm-hmm. younger, I, I was like, part of like the emo crew and all that and, yes, uh, and i feel like <laughs> the OG elder emo emos yeah. elder emos mm-hmm. you should have totally went to the one we're young festival <laughs> so my um my wedding song is uh hands down by dashboard oh so wow. that's our song actually so this this chain i know you can't see it from here but it's uh i had this custom made me and the jeweler made it together um, after my wife died. So it's, it's the engagement ring that mm-hmm. I used to propose to her. And then on the back of it is actually the lyrics to hand out hands down oh, wow. engraved into it. So yeah. 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 Get up kids. I was actually just rocking them out the other day. That's awesome. No, yeah. I honestly, I'm manifesting right now for, um, hopeless mope to, uh, be in hot topic. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I if anybody knows any context. Okay, so thank you so much, DJ, for being on here. Like I said, I'm manifesting like a beautiful future for Hopeless Mope and, you. you know, you're getting all those connections to get, you know, your mission out there and 
honestly, I'm, thank you again for bringing your story on here. So yeah. for everyone who's listening, thank you so much for listening. I'm going to put um, Hopeless Mobs like website, Instagram, go and buy all yeah. everything on the website. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I am it. like wearing it right now. Yeah. And honestly, I, I'm very authentic about my opinion about like clothes. Like I wouldn't I wouldn't go to CJ if I didn't like the, the clothing. Like mm -hmm. if I thought the brand sucked, I would have not like <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank okay. you. Okay.